0: Hey everybody! This is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another edition of Rob's Observations. A, a Rob's Observation is is when Rob, I'm Rob, uh, looks at something comic book pop culture related and and tells you about his past experience with it, uh, someone else's experience with it, his experience as a fan, his experience as a pro. That's me. That's what I do. These are my Rob's Observations. When I started the show, I uh, I started with the very first comic I, I I pulled off the spinner rack and that is the very first episode and it it talks about the the uh, my introduction to echoes which I call or you could call it an homage or a tribute but Marvel had an Echo of the Justice League called the Squadron Supreme originally called the Squadron Sinister but they expanded it to the Squadron Supreme and it was very obvious to even a young 7-year-old boy who was watching the Super Friends that was And buying a few Justice League comic books, but that this was an obvious odd to, I call it an ode to, or an echo of, the Justice League. They had a Superman, they had a Batman, they had a Wonder Woman. I've always gone on and on and on about this because uh, it it was just, to to the young mind, I was like, this is kind of cool. It's kind of bold, kind of bold to kind of flex like this, but I enjoyed it. The Squadron Supreme is still a huge property for Marvel uh has, has has never really stopped being a big property for them since they introduced it back in the very early 70s in the pages of I believe the Defenders they would then go on to expand it in the Avengers their own maxi series their own multiple mini series they just literally had a giant event about them but that's where I started and I have walked you through 1974 1975 ever since and comics are my passion I hope that um, listening to this show either shines a light on more comics uh, that can be your passion or maybe reignites an old passion. I, I love hearing from you guys, and, and, and lately I've been out on the road a lot. Even in a pandemic, what, what I what I decided to do because I wanted to get out and I wanted to interact with fans. And, and, and you know, if, if I was wrong, these wouldn't have been... The turnouts wouldn't have been so great, and they were great. And, and whether it was in La Habra, California, the city of Orange, whether it was in Dallas, Texas, whether it was in Clearwater, Florida, Orlando, Kissimmee, or Kissimmee, uh, and 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 Scottsdale, every place I've gone, I have been met with just overwhelming enthusiasm. We, you know, it'll always be a reflection of the time that we lived in. There was mass. There was social distancing. Um, it was just, you know, but, but people wanted to be with their tribes and, and I've seen it enough now that we, we do, we crave, uh, the, the affection that we have for these mutual comic book properties, these, these pieces of our imagination. And, uh, and so, so it's, it's great. And, and, And you guys have told me on the road, the reason I'm bringing these stores up to you guys is because you guys have told me time and again on the road. How much you're enjoying the show, some of you, how much you've it's it's reignited. Um your love for comics. I'm just so thankful that you guys um love comic books in the first place, or else you wouldn't be listening to the show. I do feel as if I I came into uh my my interaction with comics was at a crucial point. As I've also said many times, Master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi, which is coming out, and Black Widow, which came out and uh the Eternals, which is coming, are all exact reflections of the '70s. Um, Black Widow was introduced before the '70s, but she really found her voice in her depictions um, and, and her modern-day look in the uh, Bronze Age, which is what the, the '70s, early '80s, mid '80s is called. Um, she teamed up with, you know, uh, Daredevil became a part of that book, became you know, um, an integral part of, of of kind of Matt Murdock saga um Frank Miller picked up on that actually changed her look there in the mid 80s but but Black Widow whether it, was, whether it was in Shield or in the pages of Iron Man or the Champions which was a team she joined the Avengers she hung out with or as I said the Daredevil was was a huge time for her that entire 70s vibe we we have an entire uh episode dedicated to all of the great martial arts comics that Marvel went forward with in the 70s starting with Jim Starlin the same man that brought you Drax the Destroyer, Gamora and of course the mega powerful villain uh threat uh cosmic you know being that is Thanos okay Jim Starlin also uh went to Marvel and said we should do a kung fu book we should we should you know do something like this show that's on It's on TV, on CBS, called Kung Fu, which was starring David Carradine. And and that just snowballed for Marvel. The Sons of the Tiger, Iron Fist, White Tiger, all followed. Uh, Again, uh, birthed in the 70s, birthed in my youth. So I've been watching this stuff. The Eternals debuted in 1976. Jack Kirby, it really felt like a a spiritual cousin to everything that he had been doing at DC with the new gods. And just The Eternals is, is this own complete... Different animal. I covered that in an early, uh, maybe my third or fourth episodes. If you go back in the catalog, and it's called Seventies Marvel, and uh, and and uh, again, the, every all of the Marvel stuff that we're getting is mired in 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 my youth, and so I've watched this flex, and I I, I bring it up all the time just because I'm so thrilled by it. Today we are going to focus heavily on DC Comics. We are going to. Uh, talk about, because I've been trying to get away to talk about one of my favorite comic books that that some of you are not, most of you, let's be honest, are not familiar with. And it is a very interesting uh, examination of how how a book, how a comic book series went from super popular to basically they turn the lights out on on, on the Legion. They just turn turn it out. Superboy slash and the Legion of Superheroes or just the Legion of Superheroes. And for me, the Legion of Superheroes was everything. And it went on to become a, a a rival for the affection of fans, for the X Men, for the Teen Titans, and and we're going to examine exactly when and where the wheels came off of that franchise because they absolutely uh, came off, and uh, it's just weird. It's weird how 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 suddenly one quick misstep, one and, and, and an approach. That what we're going to really look at is a completely different approach. Uh, just took the characters, took the concept, took the comic book in a completely different direction. I'm going to reach over here, get my uh, get my cool um, uh, you know study guides that I prepare for every episode, and 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 we're going to get on the way here. But first, I want to talk about another DC property that came out. It's called the Suicide Squad. It's it's interesting. It is a. I've now seen it several times. I um, have to say, I loved it. I love James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. It's got that "the" in there, and 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 I thought that uh, that it was was spectacularly, um, y- you know, um, um, put together. Just spectacularly assembled, put together, directed. James Gunn has got style to spare and he really leaned into a lot of different comic um comic book tropes in the movie that we'll we'll examine but i also believe that he is uh he is really uh just he 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 embraced i think the weirdness that 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 those of us who really love comics the the stuff that we really really love and really dig and and he absolutely just leaned into it whether it was uh you know the the polka dot man whether it was um you know weasel or or savant or uh you know um um rat catcher rat catcher 2 uh just really interesting um seeing his entire approach to suicide squad because when i loved suicide squad and neither movie has really caught captured when the Suicide Squad, the modern-day Suicide Squad, the John Ostrander stories, they launched uh, out of a series called Legends, uh, which was the, uh, the the kind of one of the, the the follow-ups to Crisis on Infinite Earths. John Byrne handled. Uh, the art chores—it was brilliant, and it was another, you know, universe combining crossover event. It dipped into other titles. It was part of this massive flex. Massive flex. We we start. There's an entire podcast dedicated to crossover events and how it started, and 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 how once both companies did them, there was no looking back because they simply were just too financially successful for them to abandon. Suicide Squad, the modern-day Suicide Squad that with Rick Flag and Amanda Waller, was launched out of the pages of. Uh, legends and then suicide squad launched directly after that and it was a great comic i loved it from day one i love the idea of taking dc's vast and it is vast uh collection of of uh of villains both uh, grandiose villains and maybe some of the secondary characters and putting them in these missions where they very well could die because Your attachment to villains is less than your attachment to heroes. It always has been. My friends who have been doing this for the longest time, 30 plus years, they tell me, and I mean doing this by selling comic books, I should be very clear, at the retail end, whenever a villain gets cast or or pops in the culture right now, like like I remember Oscar Isaacs being cast as Apocalypse, and everyone, oh man, we got to get the first appearance of Apocalypse. We got to get the first appearance of Apocalypse. Ultron, Kang, some of these are really difficult. Kang is in a, you know, very early issue of the Avengers. And it's extremely expensive because it's a key Silver Age comic. That's what i try to tell my wife when we, uh, you know, I love my wife. She's, she's been so supportive of me my whole, my whole career. And going to all these movies with her, whether it was premieres or just stuff that we see, we screen it, at, 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 you know, at our local theaters. She'll, as she did when we were walking into Ragnarok or Black Panther or Civil War, she always goes, well, who created that? Who created this character? And, I, and I've often, you know, said, oh, joy, we're, we're still in Jack Kirby, you know, Stanley territory with with Black Panther and with Ant-Man, you know, and with, uh, you know, with, with this character and that. And I'll go, oh, oh, you know, in, in Captain Marvel, I'll be like, this is Jerry Conway. You know, Jerry Conway is the writer that, and there's Jerry. And he's one of my favorite writers of my youth. So it, 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 there's been a, a few pivots away. But so many of the creators of these characters, like King the Conqueror, which is Stan and Jack, they've passed away. And those and those books are are really, in modern day, uh, in modern day point of view, they are, they are, uh, they're ancient. They're ancient comics. They're difficult to come by. And so, you know, it's, uh, but what my retail friends tell me is, villains always fade. No matter the pop, whether it's Kang or Apocalypse or, you know, whatever Black Tom Cassidy, Juggernaut, they get a blip and then they go away because our interest in villains doesn't hold in the same way now. Then there's the anti-heroes, which you can say Boba Fett is, Deadpool is, Venom Pool. Those are, I mean, Venom. Those are those are different. Those are a different category. But villains, the the heavy, the bad guy, they don't generally have the same affection. We don't give them their, the same affection that we do heroes. And, and I think that's been proven you know, over time. But getting a collection of B, C, D-list villains as the Suicide Squad always had um, and never knowing who's going to meet their untimely fate or make a noble sacrifice was, was really exciting. But the tone of the book was more serious. Like, again, my wife and I saw James Gunn's The suicide squad and she turned to me because again, this is new to her. She's a citizen. I'm, you know, like so many of you with your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your, um, your husbands, your wives, you are going and interacting with your significant other and hoping that they catch the same love for the material that you do via this performance. Or maybe you just, they're just going to, they're just there to, you know, be somebody to talk to about the movie afterwards. That's the, that's the base you know the the least that we all desire is that you know b- both parties when i go see movies that i'm not terribly excited about except i'm mainly excited about a bunch of stuff but but like the crown on netflix i wasn't looking forward to seeing it but i knew it meant a lot to my wife so i gave myself over i watched the crown i was in, i was really entertained and then we had great discussions rousing discussions afterwards that's what we're all craving right and and so so my wife agrees Hey, it's got Margot Robbie. She likes Joel Kinnaman because we love For All Mankind. She knows James Gunn is 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 extremely talented and stylish. And she's like, okay, I'll watch it. And so she watches it. And I'll tell you where the movie lost her. And it's, you know, she's not indicative of anything. It's just her. And, and she made it really, really far. But uh, she leans over and says, Is this always had a comedic flavor? I said, no, no, no. This is James Gunn's brand of, you know, of, of unique comedy. I mean, there's some competitive scenes. I don't want to blow anything. So I'll just keep it at the minimum. Some competitive, uh, you know, scenes with, with peacemaker and with Bloodsport that, uh, uh, you, you don't see that in the comic and it was, it, it played out really nice. There's, there's one, there's one scene where John Cena casually walks by and multiple times stabs a guy. <laughs> that just gets me every time. I've watched the movie like three times now. And he's just like, step stop, step it's, it's so funny. Uh, but that kind of one-upsmanship, that kind of gamesmanship, Peacemaker has never been um, portrayed as a clod. He was a complete clod in this movie. Just um, And it was funny. And, 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 and from the minute they um, established him and his one-upsmanship with Bloodsport and then all of the crazy, he has some of the best lines in the entire movie that is that comedic approach is significant um is, is signature james gunn and uh you know james can can and does uh put great action sequences set pieces obviously always with a rousing cool relevant um soundtrack yeah i mean he's great at this stuff and, and again the style the style and the tropes that i'm talking to that he leaned into the chapter headings you know when it says operation Juttenheim, and then it fades away, and because Joel Kimbrough goes. But first, Operation Harley, and the beach, you know, s- the the sweeping of the of the fl- the the um, leaves. Now, you know, Starro versus Starro the Conqueror versus the Suicide Squad. The chapter headings that is signature Silver Age comics. I I love the um the Gardner Fox. Justice Leagues, really silver age, going silver age here. Um, often, even in my, one of my favorite Justice Leagues ever, Justice League 200, which they split up all the different art teams. And George Perez did the wraparounds, the inner, the, the, the kind of modern day connecting chapters. But when everybody teamed up and went off in pairs, Brian Bowman would draw a chapter or, you know, uh. Joe Kubert would draw a chapter. It was just—it's just such a great comic. But that's the way that 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 they were doing that Silver Age formula and and the chapter headings and and he was really leaning into the chapter headings. I love that. I love that. I've been wanting to do it. Um, I was planning on doing it on an anniversary issue of one of my own characters for the upcoming 30th anniversary of the uh, of Image Comics. But uh, but I you know it, 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 it's 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 something that I've always aspired to do because I really dig. The chapter headings. Chapter headings afford you just complete hard cuts. You can come in past, present, future, and he was doing that all through the movie. I love the chapter headings. I love the the big titles that dictated what we were going to see next, and uh, and I just, I just, uh, <laughs> he just, you know, again the unexpected uh, wiping everybody else out in the beginning. My, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I think, and I know. James Gunn was really supportive of Tim Miller when Deadpool came out. Deadpool, the original Deadpool, 2016's Deadpool, had a very minuscule budget, but it was high on style, and Tim and and, and, and his crew poured everything they had into that movie from Blur Studios, and, uh, and it was just a wonder to watch it all come together and pop the way it did, just overwhelmingly pop, you know, at the box office. And at the time, James Gunn was extremely complimentary because it was... With its soundtrack, and Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick want you to know that that soundtrack was in their script, and they are correct. I read it in 2010. All of that music, the 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 uh, opening with Juice Newton, you know, the 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 uh, wham, all of that stuff was in the earliest iteration of the Deadpool script. It was it was in the 2010 script, but then James Gunn got Guardians of the Galaxy out first. And so you really associate that 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 great soundtrack, that rousing soundtrack, um heavy on pop and and, and and radio hits, you associate that with Guardians of the Galaxy. Well then Deadpool comes along and does the same thing. No matter how long they've been planning it, they do the same thing except it's R-rated. You can get more um edgy, definitely more bloody, more gory, more violent. You can curse, you can have all sorts of crazy sex like like Wade and Vanessa have. But uh, the wearing of the Crocs to me begged a, 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 a comparison to Deadpool and his, you know, masturbation shoes, as he calls them. <clears throat> so, so you sit there and you go, "Hey, everyone's wearing Crocs." In my mind, now those Crocs are forever cinematically tied to one particular comic book character, and that would be Mister Pool, Mister Deadpool. And uh, and so you got the Crocs. And then the opening with the team getting on the copter and the way they were positioned and the way the lighting was on the, on both sides, not the copter, the, the airship that's going to drop them onto the beach. And uh, <laughs> the the uh, that entire interaction, kind of flippant, kind of, you know, a little, little over the top, flippant, um, comedic was very X-Force 2 by David Leach, where they all, you know, we, we see X-Force jump into battle and <laughs> and they all meet different fates. Poor Shatterstar, you know, The Vanisher who we, we got to see Brad Pitt briefly. That, that was an obvious, there's no way to watch that having seen Deadpool 2 as often as many of you and I know I have and not seen at the opening of Suicide Squad had some echoes there. And again, none of this is accusatory. Everybody is biting off everybody else. My son, my sons will tell you because they heard me say it first. Is uh, I say everyone is always sucking off somebody else's teat, teat like a cow. Everyone's getting it from somewhere else all the time. We're mashing up influences. George Lucas did it on Star Wars. Um, you can you you can just see, you know, all these different cop films. How one borrows from Lethal Weapon and one, you know, borrows from Bad Boys and just all of the different um, influences that everybody drops along the way. Arnold Schwarzenegger introduced the, the snappy one-liners in the action movies and everybody started doing it. The snappy one-liners, you know, from Commando <laughs> when he kills that guy on the airplane and, uh, and he says, please don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Or what did you do with, you know, what's his name? I let him go because he dropped him off a cliff. I let him, just casual. That started an entire series of, oh, well, we can do action one-liners and we can do better one-liners and we can one-up each other. Everybody influences everybody else. And I feel like Suicide Squad, even when Harley is firing away at all her guns and suddenly it goes to animation and there's a cartoon bird flying around her. And you're like, there's cartoon birds in Deadpool one and everything goes animated in that third act sequence. Then she strolls out, Harley Quinn strolls out and catches a gap. Um and, and you're like, you know, is, it that, is that Dopinder? Is that Dopinder about to pick her up? And then Ryan Reynolds himself when the uh, trailer for this came out posted a picture of Juggernaut from Deadpool 2 ripping Deadpool in two and the exact kind of shot and the framing and the lighting and, and the positioning of the shot. And he put it against King Shark ripping that guy in two. And whether you've seen the movie or not, that 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 trailer shot's been out for six months and it became a a hot meme that people were sharing. But Ryan himself said, who did it better or who who wore it better? So I mean there's always these obvious iterations. Mostly it was that James Gunn could go R-rated. Um Harley Quinn gets her best action. Uh love Idris Ilba. He's so Great! I, I again, it's almost as if they um, supplanted him. They supplanted Deadshot with Bloodsport, which was a perfect switch off. And and I think Edri, Idris Elba just completely came to play, and it was great. And and seeing Joel Kinneman again, and and seeing so many of the faces from the first movie, and then John Cena. I mean, he steals the movie, and, and I really thought it was King Shark's movie to steal, but Cena absolutely. <laughs> Steals the movie out from a giant, awesome CGI shark. Hand bird. You guys, I loved it. I loved it. But the weird thing is, and, and the one thing I used to love the most in a in a, in a industry Hollywood industry newspaper called Deadline Deadline.com, uh, they used to do a thing called the autopsy. And the autopsy concerned, um, the autopsy concerned uh the analyzing of uh any movie's box office and uh you know it really does completely bum me out that uh that the suicide squad isn't doing better um you know at, at the box office it 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 truly truly um bums me out um that that it's not And, and, and i i really i felt more than anything that it would uh, that it would perform better than it is um and yet deadline uh does they don't call it the autopsy report that was a little that was more flippant more you know uh, gregarious in in in, in its pres- presentation it was meant to push your buttons but uh today deadline.com Anthony D Alessandro writes uh writes the following the Saturday update Warner Brothers' latest Suicide Squad is coming in at a $12.1 million opening day at 4,002 theaters, which includes 4.1 Thursday previews for what will be an industry-estimated three-day in the mid-to-high $20 million range, which is under the $30 million that Warners and others were eyeing. On tracking, and you guys, here's the thing that blows me away. Tracking can be wrong, and tracking is often wrong. Uh, I've had tracking on films... That I'm associated with, with Deadpool, that was low. Um, we've seen tracking on movies such as Endgame and Infinity War that were far too low. Uh, that, that 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 those blew past expectations. There have been, uh, you know, giant shockers like like a couple weeks back. Snake Eyes was supposed to be the number one box office, the number one movie at the box office, and and old M Night. Shyamalan's new movie uh, topped it at the box office by quite a bit. So, so tracking isn't always perfect. But over the years, over the last six years where I've had access to a lot of this stuff through different studio execs, and they know their stuff when they, they get these numbers in. The executives were texting me all weekend. I had made really great friends. The executives behind Deadpool were, were to the letter on Thursday night, through Friday telling me exactly to the dime what Deadpool was set to make based on the theaters the counts the averages coming in from those tickets sold they're really, really they've they've got this down once it starts going man they can get it to the min i mean to the absolute dime but in the weeks ahead sometimes tracking can give you an indication of who actually is going to go out and see these movies suicide squad is a giant hurdle to overcome uh, in in this surgent resurgence of our you know plague of the last eighteen months in in COVID and the Delta variant, but it also has this element of HBO Max. How was I able to see the Suicide Squad three times in the last couple days? Well, outside of theatrical, twice I've watched it on my TV. I have HBO Max. I've I, I've gotten it. I I love it. I watched it. Um it's fantastic. And uh and yet that is two times out of the three that I'm not going to see it in a the theater. So the 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 streaming component is is definitely a new wrinkle and and when it speaks to tracking as I'm about to read about tracking right here, you've got to remember the tracking uh, right now I think is crazy because we can't be playing derbies uh like it's just not like it used to be. It's 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 not a clear path. To success out there for earnings people do not want to go out and sit next to other people masked or unmasked there's there's that level then there's people who don't want to do it risking that they w- there will be unmasked some won't do it under any circumstances some will do it under specific spec- <laughs> under specific instances but if they don't trust that that's going to be pulled off they, they they don't do it they walk away and they don't go back and maybe that's already happened i have friends like this the uh then there's the, hey, man, why would I leave my house? Uh, I'm not going to a theater, and I can get it here at free. I can get it streaming. All, all sorts of different options, and, and so there's no real way to get back to what we used to have because streaming has changed so much. Warner Brothers is offering all these movies on their, on their streaming. Before, it was safe to go back to theaters, especially in Southern California. We didn't have that. I watched Kong versus Godzilla three times just on my TV alone. And then with these TVs and how they're making them and the quality of the picture and the size of the screens, it's 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 amazing. And 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 it's been an absolute delight to experience some of these movies, you know, here at the house in March and April when we weren't, you know, we weren't feeling safe. Now we went and saw Old and in several of these other movies in our local theater house. We had a brand new theater put in just down down the street from the house right before the pandemic. It was open. The holiday season, the Christmas before the pandemic, then it shut down. So we love to support it. We feel it's safe, um, you know, but a lot of people don't, and that's the deal. So I don't know how you really can measure all this. But but the metrics aren't great on this. It says, on tracking, this is Anthony Alessandrio from Deadline.com, on tracking, even weeks ago, many were telling me that the James Gunn-directed DC film was looking like the studio's featherless Their Words, Birds of Prey, which opened to a lackluster $33 million. And that was right before the pandemic, like literally weeks before, 15 days before. And so here's the Suicide Squad, he writes. Many were expecting fan front-loading with an expected Saturday drop. Exhibition clearly knew this ahead of time when they spotted the weekend's weight of ticket sales on Thursday and Friday. Some continue to wonder whether the Delta variant is the contributing factor here. I'm reading this from Deadline. In Upsetting the grocers for Suicide Squad, a movie which won over critics at 92% certified fresh, the best reviewed in the DC Villain Ensemble trilogy, it's an easy excuse to make in a marketplace where some studios continue to fool around with this dynamic window. Warner's is not sorry about sticking with their HBO Max theatrical plan after a recent New York Times headlines about restaurants struggling and the Wall Street Journal reporting a new dip in travel, despite the early summer boom. Granted, there's a mixed message out there about a surging variant, particularly since we haven't returned to lockdown. Kids are heading back to college to stay in dorms. We continue to live and manage with this virus. Of those I've spoken to in the industry, no one really is expecting the vaccine card mandate in NYC or Los Angeles to affect the movie business. Here's the unfortunate hard truth, despite Warner Brothers' best intentions to get a vibrant, zany, and fun filmmaker like James Gunn to resuscitate the Suicide Squad brand. For weeks, many read the tea leaves and saw that the Suicide Squad was destined to have a bad time at the box office, that the movie had bigger, inherent problems. It's hard to rebound a franchise, even with an installment that has excellent reviews and a great director, which, this is my input, has both, after the 2016 film wasn't received well by fans and Birds of Prey significantly less so. They go on and further pick it apart. I don't know what to say. It's a great film. It kills me that more people aren't seeing it. I hope people are able to see it, whether it's just through the HBO Max component or those who feel safe to going and seeing it on a big screen. Um, It's very exciting to get this caliber of film out there. And and again, with James Gunn, uh, he, he has his Guardians of the Galaxy toolbox. He has his um, kind of homages to Deadpool in this thing that I think are very obvious, uh, kind of a love letter to to what Tim got to do, and uh, and then there is the uh, um, th- there is what I will call his um, his his uh, his fascination with not only Ben, um, but uh, but. But every kind of a rat movie, Willard, that you've ever seen, the original Willard, the, the, the remake Willard, um, with Crispin Glover, any time that you have someone associated with rats, I knew from the beginning of this film that it would play a huge third act um, the, 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 it would be put on the big stage and there would be a huge component featuring these rats. Rat Catcher 2 is a great character and the ability to control rats and I saw it coming and it made me think of Willard and it made me think of Ben. Both the sweet relationships, of course they you know, jokingly refer to him or the rat as Ratatouille, some some shots at, at Disney in there, which is funny given that it's James Gunn, given that he doesn't do the Suicide Squad at all if Marvel does not cancel him albeit briefly over some kerfuffle on the internet several years ago and uh, glad he's back doing Guardians of the Galaxy 3. My initial thought was just it was so great to see someone as stylish whether it was the chapter headings, whether it was the lean-in on the violence, whether it was the clever humor. Um, the, the, certainly, the again, I, I cannot wait to see more of the John Cena Peacemaker Uh, character featured in his own HBO Max series which James Gunn James Gunn wrote every episode and he directed several of them which is going to be just fantastic I think this is a great setup and maybe the redemption is through that path the Star Wars franchise was seen as being soft and there was weakness and the Mandalorian happened The Mandalorian struck in the fall of 2019 and there was no looking back and now the streaming Star Wars stuff is the stuff that is pushing it um, seemingly the most and the best, and it's and, and it's the way that people are experiencing it in 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 the most positive manner. So Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, I loved it. I recommend it. I I, I, I really just thought it was just enjoyable from beginning to end. It has kaiju. Um, it's got a sweet heart to it. It definitely leans into its gore and its violence. Again, that that look. I would the last shot we showed of the Deadpool trailer in 2015 at San Diego when they debuted the cast came out Ryan uh introduced it um you know the the crowd came to their feet they cheered the last shot in that trailer is when Deadpool jumps over the car with the one bullet left and shoots those guys through the head and and they're in the foreground so the bullet is coming at us through three heads that are in the midground and foreground of the shot and the blood is splattering and the gore is severe and remember guys splatter up against uh uh, against you know signs on the freeway in deadpool i mean we dismember hands arms we break bones it's uh we put knives in heads it's gory um i i I just uh when people go oh it's gory i'm like i I know i i saw deadpool push that envelope as well and and i think um, i i just hope that people take the right lessons film the the studios and the filmmakers of how great Suicide Squad um that I don't believe the stumbling at the box office is a reflection of the material I think people are not getting out to see the material for a wide variety if it's free in your living room right now in these conditions you're likely not leaving your house so that's in on Suicide Squad I dig it the Legion of Superheroes is our next DC property And uh, friends of mine said, hey man, we know how much you love it. Why don't you talk about it on the show? And again, now I've figured a way in. And the way in is, how do you dismantle a franchise that is successful? And I watched it happen in real time. Let me tell you, one of my earliest DC comics uh, that that really took me away, that really captured my imagination, that really I, I became a devout fan of was The Legion of Superheroes. So from 1976 on... From 1974 on, it's got Dave Cockrum. It's got Mike Grell. I'm going to give you a bunch of fan-favorite artists. Mike Grell, who goes on to superstardom in the comics world. Following his turn on Legion, he does a multi-year stint on his own, almost creator-owned book. I mean, he created it. He conceived it. He wrote it. He, he drew it. It was called The Warlord, uh, about a pilot that crashes into Middle Earth and, and encounters all these fantastic adventures at the center of the Earth, which has all sorts of different environments. It's 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 called Skataris. This is the world they call it. And uh, it's just, it's brilliant. He then went and did creator-owned projects. Star Slayer, later John Sable. He came back and did the Longbow Hunters, a more mature approach to Green Arrow. He had done Green Lantern and Green Arrow after he did his Legion stint. Super accomplished, huge fan favorite, cut from the Neil Adams mold, but became a writer, illustrator in his own right and took off. And never looked back, and was super popular every time he touched a page. And the Legion was no different. He followed Dave Cockrum after Mike Grell left, in his tenure, some of which some of these stories were, were written by Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter got his job, his first job writing Legion of Superhero, Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics as a teenager. He mailed in the stories. They, he was able to mail in the stories. They were impressed. They hired him, and he had a comic book. A teenager, the youngest guy to ever do it, 14 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old, writing The Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. He is a wonder kind, uh, uh, absolutely a wonder kind, Um, just unbelievable achievement. Mike Grell drew some of those stories, okay? He drew some of those stories, and, and they're fantastic. And there's some great Legion of Super Villains, and there's some yeah, stories, and there's st- stories of character, you know, tryouts. There's mysteries. There's yeah, he really approached the Legion from several different angles. What is the Legion of Superheroes? I'll give it to you in a nutshell. It's a superhero team formed in the 30th century. In the 30th century, it is a um, at this point it's very Star Trek like. There is a United Planets. There is a federation of planets that have united. There are warring uh, realms and warring planets that seek to undermine the, the United Planets. Many of the members of the Legion of Superheroes, while many were Caucasian, they hailed from all of these different worlds. And that's how you got Element Lad and you got Timberwolf and you got Lightning Lad and Lightning Lass and Saturn Girl and Princess Projectra and Karate Kid. And everyone, the Legion boasted that for the most part, it had unique, you didn't duplicate someone else's power except with Lightning Lad and Lightning Lass, their brother and sister. And they both had lightning powers, but they had badass designs too. And Saturn Girl was their all-powerful, you know, telepath, telekinetic. And then you had uh, Dream Girl who would literally have visions in her dreams and help guide the team and even became a team leader at one point princess projectra she uh cast uh these these illusions that would fool you and, and maybe drive drive you mental make you mentally unstable more susceptible for element lad or karate kid or ultra boy ultra boy was like superboy, except he can only use one power at a time he can't use super speed and super strength simultaneously not the way that Superboy does Mon-El was a other descendant of Krypton, his cousin, seemingly more powerful than um, Superboy because of a different level of exposure. You had Daxamites, um, just all sorts of different races. You had Colossal Boy who could draw, who was basically Giant Man. Um, Timberwolf, who was Wolverine before Wolverine. uh, uh, I don't want to say his name wrong, Um, but Timberwolf was My favorite legionnaire because of his feral, uh, the, the ferocity, the, the claws, the grit. Um, he could leap and jump and you know have super strength, and and, and yet he had claws and and uh, not not like Wolverine's claws, they didn't, they didn't, you didn't have adamantium claws that, that 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 popped out, but very feral, very formidable, and he looked exactly the way. That John Byrne and Dave Cockrum would depict. Dave Cochran would depict Logan, and uh, I mean, just—it's just—it's just nothing short of fantastic how much I love this, this this series and how popular it was. They all got flight rings so that everyone could fly. So unlike the Justice League or the X Men, imagine if the X Men arrived and they're all flying. Cyclops is flying, Iceman is flying, Angel is flying, Beast is flying, and they're all flying in, in basically a you know, hovering, uh, speed hovering towards you, speed hovering, you know, flying. They didn't have to have their arms in front of them. They weren't propelling themselves with strength. The the ring in and of itself, if you were a member of the Legion, you got the Legion ring. So if you were somebody like Ultra Boy, flight was provided to you through the technology of the ring. It's all very simple concepts. They would have yearly regular um, tryouts to get new Legionnaires and characters like Telos, and uh and, and others would would make the cut in the years in the 80s and expand the team but it was a very colorful very bright um very plucky and and yet also a very powerful team there was a, after jim sugar left and mike grell left there was a period where um you know there was different artists there was james sherman there was bob mcleod um all different manner of artists were jumping in. Mike Nasser jumped in. Um, they, they had they had a, 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 a varied group of artists that were always taking their crack at depicting the Legion adventures. Um, Jim Starlin stepped in. He even did an issue under a pseudonym. Um, I believe the name is Jimmy Janes. Jimmy Jane? No, no. Jimmy James was actually a dude. Um, I got to remember what Jim Starlin's pseudonym because he was unhappy with the way the work was coming out. And so he refused to to sign his name and he he used an alternate name. Um, the Legion always had really brilliant, beautiful visuals. James Sherman, who would later go on to do some X-Men work, drew beautiful men and women, beautiful figures, beautiful faces. Same with Mike Nasser, who came from Continuity Studios, um, that, that there was just all manner of, uh, I mean, uh, uh, different contributors uh, telling legion stories over, over over an extended time period, and uh, and along with Jimmy James, you had great George Perez covers and Dave Cockrum covers because he came back and did did some covers. But DC had shined the spotlight on them, and they were a vast group of characters. Very powerful Element Lad. He controlled the elements. He can make you you know susceptible all manner of elements Starboy create c- controlled gravity it was almost like magneto he could just make you so heavy that you would be crushed and that you would be pinned to the ground unable to rise when you can do that to an entire army of people attacking you that's that's sheer power they uh, expanded and and went to different sorcerer's worlds and you learned uh more of the origins of Princess projectra and and uh and again, it was kind of like space sorcerers. And one of my favorite Legion villains, one of my favorite DC villains, one of my favorite villains of all time is Mordrew, this dastardly um, um, sorcerer that uh, was, was appeared always as a giant, like Galactus size. And uh, he was very nefarious. But uh, Earth War was a great story it introduced the concept of the legion of Subst- the modern day concept of the legion of substitute heroes which were the heroes that couldn't make the cut for the regular legion team but they assembled a backup squadron and they went into action in this multi-issue um several month storyline called earth war and there's time trapper but we, we we got chlorophyll kid which is bizarre but cool we got um we got polar boy the legion of substitute heroes The Legion Academy, the young recruits hoping to get on the Legion. The Legion traveled in multiple spaceships. They would get assignments um, off-world. There would be a problem on Kund. The Kundians, K-H-U-N-D-S. It sounds weird. Kunds sounds like a dirty word, but the Kunds were a barbaric race. They've always had my full attention. They were basically all Conan the Barbarians, called the Destroyers, with high-tech rifles, wrist gauntlets, um, so it's like, what if he, an entire planet of savages, of barbarians, with super tech that, that, that are enraged? One of my single favorite solo issues is where they went and confronted a champion of, of the Kuns. And he had this cool kind of um, body armor that, that, and, and chest armor. and Oh, just incredible. You had Wildfire. You had Shadow Lass. Um, so many different powers so many different abilities represented and they worked together well and they had powerful foes and and again seeing lightning lad blasting his lightning blasts and and and, and seeing sun boy you know with basically it, it, it's it's the human Torch's powers except he didn't flame on later on they would they would maybe flame his eyebrows and sometimes his hair but for the most part he's just blasting with his melt the melting heat capacity of his sun powers. Sunboy, easy. And none of the names came off cool came off weird to me because they look so cool. Now, they're Silver Age Legion of superhero fans where Element Lad and Lightning Lad and Colossal Boy all look different. They look silver agey. They look more like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon fashion. I'm in a Legion fan group, several of them on Facebook, and these and the people who profess to the silver age stuff, it's their favorite. It's their absolute favorite. Who's to argue? They don't like what I like as much as what they like, and why Why would they? But the Legion became so popular after Earth War, after these different, um, you know, sagas that they introduced, that there would, um, well, well, before they got super popular, why did they get even more popular? Why did they rival the X-Men and the Titans at their heyday? Well, it's because Keith Giffen, a, a very talented artist, very hungry, too, to make his mark, took on legion and helped co-plot with paul levitz who had been writing it wrote this aforementioned uh, earth war they came on board and they had a plan and you didn't even see it coming but they were they were crafting a multi-month year-long saga and you didn't really know it until you were almost to the end of it and everything started to come together and that is collected in a great uh book called uh, the Great Darkness Saga. And in the Great Darkness Saga, it details all of the different issues uh, that the stories leading up to. Um, there was these really dark, almost rock creature, uh, uh, gray-skinned aliens with just eyes and no mouth. They looked very foreign. They looked very alien in nature. They, they, they traveled on machinery that should have been more familiar than it was. They, they came through explosive portals. And what it really turned out to be was they were emissaries of the 30th century dark side. He was alive, he was kicking, and he wanted to destroy the 30th century universe and conquer it and put it under his foot. And uh, all of these emissaries that had been threatening the Legion, these creepy kind of more evil Gollum style characters, again, writing fourth world tech that, that should have been the giveaway, but we were too busy looking at how they looked physically and their alien appearance. To really put it together that they're from apocalypse. This is the new gods. This is Jack Kirby's new gods in the 30th century. The Great Darkness Saga trampled the Legion. It tore them apart. It took everything they had in their final battle with Darkseid to drive him back. And even that had ramifications and, and huge uh plot, you know, impact. But the Great Darkness Saga was a huge whether the twist was there or not and the twist was big it was one of the big oh my gosh this has been about dark side in the fourth world the whole time this is the first time this has ever happened dark side in the 30th century all that power that godlike thanos-like ability turned against the legion who are up against it i mean there's one panel where lightning Lass, polar boy element lad star boy lightning lad Sunboy are all blasting away at Darkseid, and he's just laughing it off because that's how powerful he is in the thirtieth century. I love that they would take their different missions, and four of them would go, you know, rescue an abandoned outpost, and and then their ship would break down, and they're freezing, and 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 they don't think that they can be located in time, and they're going to die on this ice planet. Or again, when they go to the uh, battle of the Kund Warrior, and uh, and just all and, and and the crisis on Sorcerer's World. And uh, eventually, the Legion, because of the Great Darkness Saga and all the buzz, and this was talked about in the same way that the Dark Phoenix and Days of Future Past and any of the great stuff going on in Titans was talked about, Legion sales went through the roof. It blew up. The book is colorful. The book was dynamic. Keith had a real grasp on, on team dynamics. He was keeping pace with the best team guys of his era, John Byrne, George Perez. He, he, he was... Absolutely a competitive beast keeping up with them every step of the way. The sales took off. The book blows up. They decide we're going to spin it off. We're going to give a more expensive version with with uh, new stories and we're going to launch it with a brand new. We're going to put Paul and Keith on the new deluxe edition, which is heavier stock paper, more, more of a price point. They had, they had just done this with the Teen Titans too. So now you're going to get two legion series concurrently which for fans like me i was over the moon i was through the roof young dan jurgens would come in uh following a gentleman named terry shoemaker they they took over for keith on the regular legion title and there was no looking back because legion also had the fatal five they had great great emerald empress um uh, just amazing villains and uh and 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 so so Dan Jurgen's Terry Shoemaker pinch hit, come in and 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 pick up where Keith left off. Paul Levitz is still writing it, the space saga, the 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 you know basically they were the patrollers of the entire galaxy, and obviously there was hostiles everywhere at any time that would attack Earth, that would attack other outposts or like. You know, the mystery surrounding these aliens that led to ultimately the reveal that Darkseid is intent on invading. Well, when they launched the the, the new title, they went all in on the Legion of Super-Villains. They expanded and made them just an, an enormous threat to the Legion. Ultimately, Legionnaires die. Some fan favorites um, pass away in brutal battles. Steve Lytle, L-I-G-H-T-L-E, was a fantastic new uh, penciler that came on the scene. He had sturdy, powerful figures. Um, it, he was his detail oriented. He drew handsome faces, like Art Adams. He was the real deal. He picked up after the initial um three to four issues that Keith Giffen did, which was um, in, in uh, introducing the new Lethal Legion of Super Villains, which could go toe to toe with how I mean, literally, if the Legion, the full power of the Legion, show up, pow, power wise. Per comic books, they are more powerful than the Fantastic Four, than the X Men, than the Avengers. Maybe only rivaled by the Justice League, except with Monel, Superboy, Supergirl, Ultra Boy, uh, and Dev M. You've got basically five equivalents of Superman. I just don't know how you beat that, and that's 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 why you read comics and let your imagination get carried away, and you pontificate: Could this guy beat this guy? Who would battle this guy? You know, it it, it that, that's why we love comics. We love getting we love letting our imaginations run. The Legion was colorful. It was bright. It was action packed. That was the ticket to ride. The from the Great Darkness Saga to the Legion of Supervillains to key shocking deaths of beloved characters in the relaunched title, where Giffen hands off to this new superstar Steve Lytle. The book was cooking. The book was absolutely. I got an, a dedicated Timberwolf solo issue where he just all action oriented, battling all manner of alien opposition. Um, great thing about the Legion again: you want to any world, you want to do a sorcery story. There's a sorcery planet. You want to do high tech robots. There's a robot planet. Um, you want to do savage barbarian Conan in space. You do stuff with the Cuns. Um, it was just infinite in the amount of stories that they could do. When you were on Sorcerer's World, you were in more of a medieval setting, except there was hovering buildings, but it's magic. It's still magic, and there's multiple magicians. And they were, they were again, the distress signal was put out that they would assist as Darkseid attacked, as the Great Darkness Saga not only revealed itself, it, 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 it was beginning to wrap up. Colorful. Colorful characters, colorful costumes, Emerald Empress, the Fatal Five, the Time Trapper, Mordrew, killer villains, killer villains. Lightning Lord, part of the, you know, Legion of Super villains. Um, The book knew exactly what it was. High-octane adventure and action and imagination in space. And then Dark Knight happened, and we've talked about that, and Watchmen happened. And Grim and Gritty became the soup of the day. It became the soup du jour. Everybody wanted to do their Grim and Gritty, including, as I've told you, Todd McFarlane's approach to Spider-Man when he took over and launched the new Spider-Man. And it's a more Grim and Gritty approach to the Craven's last hunt. And, uh, and you've got, you know, almost zombie stuff, blood, Calypso, giant gaping holes and wounds. Tribal drums, sacrifices, I mean, that though, though those Craven issues are dark, and they are grim, and they are gritty, and Spider-Man's costume is shredded and torn to pieces, and it's it's all or nothing, and the stakes are high, and that is the grim and gritty that Dark Knight and Alan Moore with Watchmen and Dave Gibbons, they, they put that at the fore. Lo and behold, all of the success, I've got all these tomes in front of me, I've got the Superboy and the Legion issues, I've got the relaunch Eye for an Eye trade paperback. I've got the Legion, the Curse trade paperback. I've got the Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, all the great Mike Grell stuff. I've got it right in front of me. These two great hardcovers that they put out, and again, just an amazing Joe Staten. I would be remiss to not mention Joe Staten again. This is a this is just a, a a a cornucopia of killer killer talent. Steve Ditko, Joe Staten, Jim Sherman. Okay, you got, uh, you know, you got Mike Grell, um, uh, just Mike Nasser, uh, uh, Jim Starlin. Then you've got this amazing, amazing Keith Giffen, Steve Lytle runaway, just. Keith is doing it. Steve Lytle's doing it. Dan Jurgens is doing it. This, this work is commercial. It's tight. It's action-packed. And then on the heels of the new Grim and Gritty, and this is where Grim and Gritty doesn't fit. It is not a one-size-fits-all. The Grim and Gritty hits. 1989, the Legion relaunches. Keith Giffen, now not with Paul Levitz, but with the Beer Bombs, B I E R B-A-U-M, they did a bunch of work for, for me at Extreme. Tom and Mary Beerbaum, Beer sweet, sweet people. Al Gordon inputting on Story as well. Five years later, they relaunched The Legion. They stop it. They cancel the, the latest iteration and they relaunch it. And it is grim and it is gritty. Keith Giffen had uh, been, been uh, getting some different uh, Spanish artists named Munoz. And, and, and some other influences were coming into him Frank Miller also and suddenly everybody in the Legion it's five years later after the last time we left them. It is a very polarizing approach uh, to the book at the time and uh, and 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 the Legion has broken up um, it, it is it is uh, it is a darker period for the comic and the art everyone is wearing trench coats way before neo and everybody was wearing their 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 dusters the legion of the super of of superheroes uh you know um um it 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 alienated people because everything i told you the fun the color the action it was all gone the legion was now replaced by sullen um very adult uh, themed characters and stories. And, uh, the run had, it, it literally lasted for five years. It was both hailed by people for being daring and criticized for moving so far away. But one thing that was absolute was the sales cratered. Um, it did not, um, it did not, uh, bode well. Um, the book, the Legion was always about hope. It's like Star Trek. Everybody on that—I I, literally—it it was your favorite super team. Let's say the Legion was the X-Men on spaceships. Again, all going to different outpost planets, putting out fires, negotiating treaties, being—you um, know—escorting uh, uh, different ambassadors. Again, because it's the—it's uni- the United Planets, the Federation of Planets that they are—they are servicing. It was—it was suddenly um, dystopian. Uh, the future was dark. It was no longer bright, and uh, and Keith definitely had an appetite to go dark and grim and gritty and follow in the footsteps of what Miller and Moore had established, and uh, the, the 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 timelines uh, changed. Obviously, five years you get to jump, you get to change things, and uh, they, they 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 removed some aspects of the Legion's glorified history. And, and, and remove some characters' memberships. The, the legion was um, dis, 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 disbanded, dispersed, and they were gonna come back together. and uh, And yet other fan favorites were, were killed. Uh, I'm trying not to to, 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 to spoil everything. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the the seeing the legion, which used to be in these brilliant colored costumes, lightning lads, Dave Cockrum Design, Dave Cockrum, who gave us Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler, the giant size X-Men number one. He left DC because they wouldn't let him keep one page of original art because they weren't doing that at that time. Those The lightning lad with the bolts on the shoulders that go straight through the chest down towards the, the navel and the color of the yellow and the white and the blue and the hair that he gave, lightning lad. Lightning lad was just one of my absolute favorite striking visuals wildfire ultra boy these are timeless timeless designs suddenly they all had trench coats or white jackets and pants and they were unified and they looked alike and it was very dystopian and it was dark and it wasn't terribly fun i can tell you that and this is when uh you know the the approach backfired. I, I truly believe that, that that relaunching this book in 1989 with the five years later, it was murkier. Keith was Keith Giffen was was experimenting with a murkier style, a nine-panel grid layout. That is the biggest approach he decided to take. D- Dave Gibbons' deliberate nine-panel Watchman grid, and Keith was obviously extremely interested in exploring. How you could utilize that to the max effort gets Keith above and above all else. Keith Giffen is a amazing storyteller. Keith would go out to lay, he would lay out stories for me. He would lay out stories for Kevin McGuire. He would lay out stories for Jeff Johnson. Um, so, so many other people across the spectrum. Master storyteller, great page designer. But now he's enamored with this nine panel grid. And let me tell you something, that ain't, that, that isn't, that is not always the easiest way to sell your story, okay? But um, it, it was definitely a departure from the fine line, detailed approach that he had brought to the Legion for all the years prior. It was bold. Um, it was it was dark. The shiny paradise was was gone, and uh, and now we had a tumultuous, darker, grittier. Um, the, the, the way that Keith would draw people with heavy face shadows, it was a certain style that he picked up from this artist Munoz and, and it would like just draw the brows and the indentation at the top of the nose and then drop the rest of the, 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 the the face in, in harsh black shadow. But, uh, taking away the color from the group, taking away the hope, taking away the, uh, the, 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 the impact with the United Planets. It really became a bummer book and it played to the perception that the landscape had altered and grim and gritty was required except this was a bad fit. It was like, it would be like if they replaced uh, in the Reese's peanut butter cups instead of peanut butter, they put mayonnaise. Okay, let me tell you something. I don't want to bite into a Reese's cup with 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 chocolate and mayonnaise it doesn't fit okay mayonnaise goes great on your sub on some of your sandwiches okay but it doesn't have any place in my chocolate and and the grim and gritty approach just was not one that i felt and 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 neither did um did did uh didn't many others they didn't feel it it was the maximum best approach to this book but it radically reinvented the book radically reinvented it Um, it, it, it became, uh, uh, you know, again, the five years later banner was the first thing you read and it was a snippets of a documentary that looked back at the glory days of the Legion and they were now all separated and, and, and would they come back together? And, uh, and, 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 would these, um, you know, different forces move them together, but they really, Uh, leaned hard into this shift in tone and darkness. And again, every article you will read on this leans hard into the fact that because of Dark Knight and because of Watchmen, everyone wanted to be part of this new, dark, grim, gritty impact on the comic book landscape, but it had no place with the Legion. It did not work, in my opinion. Lifelong Legion fan. And the Legion never recovered. The Legion literally never ever recover from from this uh this direction. The book never ever has achieved the success it had in the glorious days when it was going toe to toe with huge franchises like the X-Men for fans dollar, for fans interest, for fan acclaim. And uh and and uh you know some of the the Legionnaires in five years later had succumbed to fame and fortune um had moved, you know, out of this dedication to the Legion into more science and, and, and research, and, uh, and many of them their their lives are little mini soap operas when we when we begin and uh, you know, it's a uh, some of the romances it cooled, the relationships were rocky, they were ugly, um, but again, the artwork and the approach to the art. Was starker. It was deliberately starker, and it was darker on a on a book that was always poppy, and and fresh and colorful. And so this is the best example. It's it's uh that there is a it, it it was it was. I really feel it was a misstep. Felt it then. Felt it now. The omnibus is out. I re looked at it. Um It just the Legion became something completely different. It, it became a hard sci fi book. It, it owed more to what had failed. You know, I think I think I think Blade Runner is a brilliant movie. I saw it when it came out. I was in high school. I loved it. I loved Ridley Scott. I loved you know the entire concept. But obviously it didn't connect with a large audience. When they remade Blade Runner a few years back, it expanded its budget, made it more even impressive and beautiful. People still stayed away from it. Dark sci-fi is sometimes a tough sell. And basically the Legion of Superheroes was a Star Wars. Fun, but consequential sci-fi adventure book and it suddenly became hard science, hard sci-fi, darker, starker, murkier. And it didn't fit. And the Legion never recovered. The Legion, try as they might, never found the heyday when it was one of the premier launches in comics. So that is a one-size-does-not-fit-all example and we are going to apply that as hard as we can here to, to 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 a franchise that has not recovered, it has not recovered in 30 years. The Legion, once proud Legion, which was um, they did a recent reboot, and and again, it just it just fell on on it it, it didn't it didn't hold it, it it did not hold on the same level the uh that 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 the Legion was in in its most po- in in its most popular heyday. This. When I say it rivaled the Legion for affections, you better damn believe it. When I read my Legion book, before I wrote, read my Chris Claremont uh, second run with with Cockrum or the Ramita Jr. stuff, 100% without fail. Was the Legion better than Avengers? Was it better than Defenders? Yes, yes. Was it better than Justice League? Yes. The Legion was a top... Premier comic it knew exactly what it wanted to be and then one day it completely shifted and changed forever so we went heavy on the dc this time suicide squad legion of superheroes i got a lot to say i love the dc universe it is rich i i, I realize now i probably will never do a run on the legion of superheroes and it would be the biggest oh the fan base is 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 very um like i said it's a very fractured fan base There are people that like the rebound from five years later and hold it up to the Giffen stuff. It it it, Tom and Mary Beerbaum stayed with it. They continued to kind of they tried to get it back, they made it younger, they went younger, fresher. Um they, they because they had to get as far away from the five years later approach as they possibly could in any hopes of rebounding it. But it never ever connected. It never connected again. Ever. Um it's just, it, it, it really is just a, a crazy shift. I've never seen a franchise just so deliberately just crash. But it absolutely, um, it, it really did. It really did completely crash. So here's the deal. You guys are always, always so generous with me. And you leave these reviews and I'm going to read them to you. Every, at the end of every show, I will read the reviews that you are leaving for me. Today, I'm going to start with my good friend. His name is Brad Fr- Frederick. He left this last week. His 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 review, he gave, a, gave us five stars. Very generous. Thank you, Brad Frederick. The answer, he says, the, this is his title. The answer is Robvious. Robvious. When Stan Lee passed away, the comic book spos, spoke, spokesperson of my generation was gone. I'll say that again. When Stanley passed away, the comic book spokesperson of my generation was gone. There will never be another. Or will there? Rob's enthusiasm and charisma is infectious and addicting, pining in between days waiting for the next episode of Rob's observations But why? Because Rob Liefeld is the modern-day Stan Lee. I couldn't think of a better ambassador for the comic book medium. He grew up in comics. Literally. He was there for the biggest boom in comics and the hardest fall and has come out as one of the most relevant creators to this day, these episodes are loaded with details and stories that allow Rob to illustrate those days just as well as he illustrates a comic book page. With excitement and electricity, this is a sincere and genuine account of comics past, present, and future. Oh, and by the way, he has the receipts to prove it all. The answer is Rob Bias. Thank you, Brad Frederick. Thank you for being so generous. Amazing. Just thank you so much for that. This uh, this review from Joanne Dow says the podcast to end all podcasts gives us five stars. Thank you again. I've been a day one listener to Rob's podcast and a huge fan since New Mutants eighty seven. Rob's podcast has the passion flaming for comics. Love his inside knowledge and his views and history lessons. I actually hate when each episode ends, knowing I'll have to wait for the next. Thank you for the stories. Keep them coming when the word open when the world opens back up. Pop down to Melbourne in Australia to say hi. Joanne, I will. I will absolutely do that. I look forward. It'll be my first time. My first time when I um, visit Australia. Thank you guys for your generous reviews. Thank you for listening to the show. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. With the blue check, that's really me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Also blue check. You can talk to me in the comments. Um, I love you know ch- chatting back and forth with you guys on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm all over Facebook. I'm in. I'm all over it. I'm in so many different clubs. I have my own pages. I've got my own profile. I love hanging out and talking to you guys. Um, you can follow me on there. Thank you for your dedication and listening to this show. Thank you for hanging out with me. Tough subjects today. Suicide Squad and Legion. I love the Legion. It, it fell off a cliff with five years later. With creators, Keith had taken it to a, the, the the highest creative heights it had ever experienced and then completely applied a... a, a an approach to the book that just, in my opinion, didn't work. Was it worth trying? Of course it was worth trying, but it didn't stick. They probably stayed with it too long. The, sh- the comic never recovered from it. You guys, you are going to take care of yourselves. You're going to stay safe, and we are going to talk again real soon.